0: Hey Joel, how you doing?
1: Welcome to the first podcast ever on Gems of Jewel. Julian, how are you?
0: Good. How you doing?
1: I'm good. Wow, it sounds like you had a late night.
0: Quite a late night, and a uh, bit of a cold. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, uh, right. I just want to welcome you to the first Gems of Jewel um, podcast, and I want to thank everybody for listening. And the interview we're doing today is with Julian Brain, and he is a very successful assistant director or second assistant director. How, how What's the title you go by these days?
0: Uh, nowadays, first assistant director. Um,
1: Sorry, okay, my bad. First assistant director. And Julian's going to tell us some really awesome things about the film business. So uh, what was your day like yesterday, Julian?
0: <laughs> uh. Uh, a bit long uh but wasn't shooting was scouting uh but up at uh five yesterday, home at uh like ten thirty <laughs> something like that ten thirty in the m- so quite-
1: tell us a little bit about what you do like what is the difference between an assistant director and a regular director uh,
0: like who do you work okay.
1: for do you do you work for <laughs> The director, do you work for the producer. Like, what do you do?
0: <laughs> Basically, your my job is to uh, organize the movie um, with a schedule uh, based upon what the script is, what the uh, budget is, you know, and sort of come up with a schedule for the a schedule for the movie that uh, works. For the budget, for the producers, also for the director, for what they'd like to do, get done in their movie. Um, and then once you've done that, you kind of you run the set, make sure the logistics are all taken care of and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, Jen I mean, it's just, you know, assistant directors, you work for both the director because you're their right-hand man, you know, and uh, but you also work for the producer um, because... You're trying to, you're the one who controls the time element of uh shooting.
1: Oh, and as we know in the film business, time is money, right? That clock?
0: It, yeah. It's sort of an incessant, never-ending, um, yeah, it's an incessant, you know, you you spend all day sort of going, oh, God, we got to keep going, we got to keep going, we got to keep going. Things don't always get better with more time, but they certainly get uh you certainly get, you know, a bit uh, a bit more luxury, as it were. So, oh,
1: so so now, Julie, let's just talk a little bit about your background. You grew up in the D.C. area, and you wound up going to Dartmouth College. So, did you study film at Dartmouth? Were you like, okay, my dream is to organize movie sets, or like, how did that whole? To
0: the college, I studied uh, history and English, uh, sort of have a. Um, degree in American history, um, I had always been interested in film um, and had wanted to do it and actually, strangely enough, my last when I was a senior in high school uh we had an English class where we they wanted us to make some sort of film and uh, I did it and i would always been interested in movies I always loved movies did it and enjoyed it a lot, and had a good time doing it and um that sort of sparked my interest but where I grew up and what I did um wasn't like people we didn't you didn't make movies you know that was for people who lived in Los Angeles it's not for people who grew up in Washington D.C. right when I grew up and it wasn't for it just wasn't it wasn't something we thought about you know Um, Mm -hmm. and if I had said to my parents you know when I was going to college, um. I'd really like to study film. I don't know how they might have been actually much they might have been very supportive, but I I my my brain thought they would have thought, Oh, this kid's crazy, you know. Um and so that's kind of how, you know, I, I grew up and I and I didn't I always loved movies and I wanted to do it and I thought I could do this and but um it just wasn't something people from where I grew up did. Um and it wasn't like lack of opportunities I had in life. I had lots of opportunities, but it was just I never thought and no one I grew up with thought about oh we could get a career in the arts. So um, then
1: how did you get how did you get that first job? You graduate from Dartmouth. You, you you made this great film in high school. You graduate from Dartmouth. You're sitting there, you got your cap and gown on, and you're going, "Okay, so what's next?" Like how did you get onto your first movie? or How did that happen?
0: Um complete and blind on our luck. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was just a very random thing. I, uh, I was actually bartending, uh, as most people do, after college, uh, with a degree in English and history with a you know a history and English degree. You don't, I'm not tra- you're not trained for anything. So I was bartending, and I ran into this friend, uh, this guy that I had known growing up. Uh, I think the last time I had seen him, maybe he was 10 years old, and I was 11. And uh <laughs> Strong bonds.
1: Strong bonds there.
0: <laughs> yeah. We had, but, you know, I last time I'd seen him, you know, I was eleven, he was ten. But um his mother was a location manager, which is uh a job where basically, you know, she goes out and finds the locations and organizes them and sort of the interface between a film company and 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 um and uh, the the public, you know, locate, You know, we. Have, one of the big things I tell people is, if you've got no place to shoot a movie, everything else is nice, but you need a place to do it first. So that she was the location manager, and she was, for lack of a better term, the location manager for Washington D.C. Any movie that ever came to Washington D.C., she was. She you know she worked with all the directors, so she was doing at the time. Uh, a movie called Nixon without by Oliver Stone. And I think she had just finished, uh, um, true lies with, uh, James Cameron. And th- she sort of was the person who organized the filming or helped find and sort of interface and get, you know, with, a, with the uh, public on all those movies. And, uh, she, um, needed, as she said, she needed some kids to come help her work. And what that meant was she needed people to basically get parking spaces.
1: That's glamorous. <laughs>
0: and, oh, yeah. No, so you woke I would. Uh, she said, oh, you know, would you do it? I thought, oh, great. This would be awesome. I can work on a movie. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And since I had a very flexible schedule and as a bartender, I could just take off and have people cover my shifts. Um. I said, yeah, 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 I'll do it. Uh, I woke up, I think, once again, probably at 4 a.m., and drove down to downtown... Actually, I think I rode my bike to work at the time because I didn't have to go that far. I was living in D.C., but uh, I rode down to downtown D.C. and met up with a friend of mine, and uh, that friend of mine, Ari Fleischer, actually was the guy's name. And Ari and I basically got in a pickup truck and... Put cones down and save parking stages. And if we saw a car that was parked, you know, in what was that no parking signs that films can get, um, we called somebody and had them uh, had them, uh, you know, towed. Basically, it's kind of a powerful position for 20 year olds. But we could get all the cars in D.C. towed at one point. Um, but that was my first wow. Time. That's that's Wait a me. that's
1: a dream. That's a real dream. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Oh no! it's were... one of the. It was one of the. It's still to this day, my favorite thing because, you know, a lot of this business in the long run becomes very sort of this is what you do for a living. A lot of it becomes about it's a job, it's a profession, you know, and it's somewhat like being in construction. But I, the first those first couple of days are kind of what got me to stay. But it was you know, it was me and this kid Ari, and uh, I was actually a girl named Cindy. Martin, who I'm still friends with, and Ari I'm still still staying in touch with, um, they, Cindy, does, Cindy works in the business still, Ari doesn't. a kid named uh, Adam. He's actually now an international lawyer, so he went the right direction in life. but um, it was the four of us, and we'd wait, you know we'd get up at 4 a.m or something like that at 3 a.m. to get to work by 4 a.m, and we'd go comb things off, and then uh, quite honestly, we'd, we six started shooting and we didn't have anything to do. Being, you know. Wow.
1: So you, at this moment in time, you were like, I'm really using that Ivy league degree. I'm, I'm using it to its fullest. So then from mm-hmm. that job in that film, like, like, where are you now? So like, let just say like, what, what's the name? Can you say the name of the project you worked on yesterday and who you're working with?
0: Or are you under <coughs> an NDA? Yeah, um, oh, okay. Uh, you can say what you work on. That's not, um, okay. I'm working on it. I'm working on a movie now called The Happy Time Murders, um, which is a – The Happy Time Murders, and uh, I'll go back to Ray Donovan. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: uh, I I was going to say, you want to go back to Ray Donovan, you want to go to Suicide Squad, you want to go to Zipper. I mean, like, your resume is amazing. You worked on The Avengers, The Dark Knight. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jane Austen Book Club. You you have really (laughs) – and one of my favorite movies, The Holiday. So – Mm -hmm. You've just gone from being the guy who sets up the cones to dealing with massive level movie stars and some of these people who are also friends of mine, like in Wedding Crashers or like, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I know I've been on set with you too and things like, hmm, Mm -hmm. do you think this Fast and the Furious movie is going to turn into anything? (laughs) <laughs> right and then like wow that okay.
0: was that was a wonder <laughs> that was
1: that was a big wonder so uh mm-hmm. especially when there was a walk away lunch so uh in mm-hmm. downtown Los Angeles but um yeah. yeah so tell us a little bit about your work on Ray
0: Ray Donovan uh I worked as uh, first AD I do a lot of the pickup pieces so basically we Ray Donovan is a television series for those of you who don't know that plays on Showtime and The 10-day episode, so in 10 days, they shoot the entire episode uh, until we don't. There's actually usually a lot of little pieces that need to be done. So I'll do those. So uh, in the last episode that aired, there was a scene that took place on a boat um, at night with uh, John Voight and uh, Pooch Hall. Shot that because the main unit or the main part of the company didn't have time to go all the way down out there on the water. So that's what I did on the line. Ray Donovan... You know, quite a good show. It's uh, I think it's one of the, probably one of the best shows, if not the best show. I know many people uh, like it quite a bit um, on television, you know. Um, well, but on that movie, on that show, it's kind of catch as catch can, as it were. So, well,
1: what are some of the craziest things that happened? Like, when you worked on, let's say, that movie with M. Night, uh, The Village, like, there were some scary elements to The Village. that I saw that film. It had a lot going on in it. What were some of the challenges that you had? Cause there was a, were you guys outside the whole time you shot that movie? Or were, did you guys build sets? Or yeah, how the did village. you work on that?
0: The, vill- the Village was actually constructed as a real village. And it was sort of a, a unique situation. Um, Night is a very... Very talent I mean, one of the most talented people I've ever met in my life. Uh, and I, you know, I met a lot of them, but that is probably one of the most talented people I've- But they constructed on that show a village. So everything you saw there in the movie they built out and they found a uh, piece of property out just outside actually Wilmington, Delaware, sort of near triangulated in between Philadelphia and Wilmington. They found a piece of property um, that was actually right down the road from the DuPont estate um, that Foxcatcher has made famous. And uh, it was where John DuPont lived when he uh, had all those wrestlers there. It was right around the corner from there. But It was a big sort of estate. And they basically built the village in this sort of clearing between some trees. And then if you went down a certain road, you had to go through uh, a gate almost to get out and you'd go out and down the hill and back up a hill and you'd come around the corner. And then all the support mechanisms of a film were parked, all the actors' trailers, all the cameras, trucks and, So you had the village
1: and then you had the film village,
0: right? (laughs) Exactly. It was kind of the only time I've ever, and we never really left the village or the film village. So you'd park in the film village, get out of your car, walk down to the, you know, go get something to eat in the film village, and and then walk into the village. And as soon as you walked into the village, it was like you were in the real place and we had all the, cast and extras all dressed up it was it was an interesting sort of experience out there you know and then when we went out to the woods you know when the, the trip continued the story continued and they went out to the woods they went out into the woods um so it did was you guys one of the sleep out in those
1: woods or what
0: <laughs> no 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 we stayed in no we stayed in the holiday uh, no i don't think it was a holiday and uh, i think it was ramada i spent three months on the side of uh Inside of the main sort of drag between Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, um, yeah, were... it's
1: so glamorous. The thing that I keep finding about this filmmaking thing is just mm-hmm. how much glamour and excitement
0: takes place. <laughs> yes, well, you know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> the motto was uh, all the the uh, was it? It was pharmaceutical reps. There were lots in, in that case in Delaware, just right there. There are a lot of uh, pharmaceutical, a lot of drug companies. There was, I think, Merck or something like that. I can't even remember what it was called. But they also had a contract. So every night you would come back to the hotel, and there would be a bunch of drug company reps in the bar drinking every night. And quite honestly, they were much less well-behaved than we were.
1: You'd see (laughs) these
0: drug company reps in the bar just getting blotto, and most of us would go and, uh, you know, Eat something real quick, or had pick something maybe pick something up on the way home, but you'd eat something real quick, go up to your room, go to sleep while they're down there partying like they were, you know, college freshmen and <laughs> their first spring break in Mexico. Uh, so we, you know, we the the idea that the film crew lives this crazy wild life was probably should be put to rest by watching the difference between us and drug company reps. They were yeah. crazy, and we were like. Okay, we got to go to sleep because we got to get up at once again four or five a.m. the next day. Um,
1: but- so, so, you leave the village and then and then you go directly onto ladder forty nine. Now that entire movie I, was about the firefighters saving lives and all that stuff. So you you go from this quiet, quaint little movie about people in the woods to like pyrotechnics. <laughs> so how was that for you? As a second AD, managing the you know that's a big contrast that you had to make there in a leap. Was there a big difference in shooting that, or like what were the um, challenges of that set?
0: (laughs) Well, strangely enough, I think you're correct as far as how the movies were released. I think The Village was released before Ladder 49, but in actuality, I shot Ladder 49 well before. The Village, and actually in between those, in The Village, I basically did Latta 49. I did uh, the East Coast portion of a movie called National Treasure and then did The Village. So that's one of the sort of interesting things sometimes about working on films is you might have done a movie before, but it doesn't come out until after the other movies. Sometimes it has to do with when the release date the studio wants, I guess, but also sometimes it just has to do with the amount of work they have to do in post-production. And that sort of explains a big difference between the village and, and my job on the village and Latta 49. The village, there wasn't, many, there wasn't much CGI in it, if any. Uh, I just, we don't, it wasn't something that, at the time, M. knight wanted to uh, have in his thing. We, they built that village for real. Everything you saw was there. On the screen, it was there when we walked into the actual village set itself. Latta 49 was an entirely different situation where, uh, you're dealing with a lot of different stuff. Uh, you're dealing with fire and explosions and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, are very, um, tricky things. And there was a lot of CGI. I mean, there was a lot of physical explosions. There was a lot of fire. There was a lot of stuff, but one of the things that was a lot of CGI was smoke. Um, when I the first thing I did when I went to Lada 49 was I went to the city of Baltimore, Baltimore City Fire Department uh, Academy, firefighting academy with the the actors. Um, so Joaquin Phoenix, Robert Patrick, Balthazar Getty, uh, Tim Guinea, John Travolta went. Um, they all went to the fire academy, and I went with them, and we basically got a very accelerated, somewhat truncated, uh, very actually truncated um, crash course on how to be a firefighter. Um, Okay, so so when you go
1: with that group of guys, mm
0: -hmm. I'm
1: going to assume that none of them really had experience being firefighters, right, including yourself. So of that group of people, who turned out to be the firefighting star?
0: Um, Well, Joaquin, because he'd, he'd, he'd got there earlier, and he had sort of, immersed himself at that point into being a firefighter. He had, uh, you know, he had um, spent some time at firehouses. He'd been around. He sort of knew a bunch of the stuff. So he'd been there a little bit earlier than the other guy. I had to say who was the firefighting star, it might be Morris Chestnut or Balthazar Getty, because they had the two most difficult. They, everybody had to learn how to basically wear full what they call turnout gear, which is firefighters, jackets and pants. And also the masks, which provides you with oxygen and allow you to breathe. Because uh, being in, a, in an actual burning building, after you experience it, you realize, oh, my God, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. But it's basically, it's like turning on your end, your oven to 400 degrees then stick your head inside. That's what it, it's, you really feel like you're being baked. And all that jacket and hood and mask and all that stuff, that just allows you to survive somewhat in that sort of conditions. And the actors, one of the reasons all the actors went to this stuff was because they would need to wear that stuff while they were acting so that they could act in what we did, which was burning buildings. They would have to act at times when they were in a burning building. And they needed that stuff on to actually be able to survive in the burning buildings for the little bit they were in there so all of them learned how to do that, and they all – I want to think I've found about actors in general, and this is a general rule, is that they're very good at learning things. That's one of the things. They're very good at acquiring – most of them are very good at acquiring skills. They they put a lot of effort into it, but they're also very good at it, at learning how to do something, or at least make it look like they know what they're doing. Um, make <laughs> it look like they know
1: what they're doing. No, but you always <laughs> like,
0: see these things where pe- people complain about – how, oh, he didn't do this right. Was probably the teaching. Or sometimes it has to do with what we have to, sometimes you have to fake something for the camera. But I guarantee you, if something was wrong and we had to fake it to try and, you know, tighten up the time, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to do something. And on a film, film, you don't want to spend four minutes watching the guy put on his turnout gear. So you kind of fake a bit of it. Um, But they're very good at learning that sort of stuff, be it how to fire a gun, how to drive a car, how to... I've seen amazing things. I've seen actors who didn't know how to swim before they started the movie turned themselves into really good swimmers after the movie. What was that? It was a movie called The Guardian, and mm-hmm. uh, it was about Coast Guard rescue swimmers, and all the actors had to learn... Um, not learn how to swim, actually. Strangely enough, most of the actors... Uh, their first audition for the movie, from what I was told, was that they all went to a pool and swam. The director was there, and they, they all swam. And the director just wanted to make sure that they could actually swim. Um, and then he would say, once they figured out, okay, you can swim, they're like, okay, great, we're going to do an audition with you. But there is a joke that if you ask an actor if they can do something, they always say, yes, absolutely, I can, I can, I can ride a horse backwards. I've been riding a horse since I was two years old sometimes you get there and they actually are not able to do what they said they can do. Um, But as I say, if you hired an actor to say, and said we're going to teach you how to ride a horse, they are always very good about learning it. Okay. But then if you
1: apply that, but, but Julian, if you apply that to Jane Austen book club, did they have uh to take a reading test? Like, did they really need to know how to read before the audition?
0: Anybody was that thorough on the Jane Austen book club. Uh, but I assume on the Jane Austen Boat Club that they all know how to read. But on The Guardian, one of the actors uh, had never swam before in their lives, and, uh, but you know, the director liked him a lot and said, you know what? And that person basically went from three months before the movie started shooting, never having swam before in their lives. They applied themselves for three months I I mean, a real effort of will to uh, learn how to swim, and uh, they did. They did, and they got in the pool with not only other actors, but we had a group of extras, and we had recruited all these extras from college and water polo teams and swim teams and all sorts of stuff. And one of the guys in the pool actually won an Olympic medal after we finished shooting the movie uh, in Beijing, and this actor swam with those, act, those, those professional swimmers and did not look out of place. They could, they really, it was one of the more impressive things, because I remember I asked, I said, uh, you know, did you just, can you swim? And he says, oh, I never, knew, never never was really a swimmer before I started swimming. I said, God, you look as good as any of the other Olympic swimmers or Olympic caliber.
1: Okay, now yeah you and got to tell pull. us, which, which person was that?
0: Oh, Aston Kusher. Never, he never he, said he. When I say he couldn't swim, he said I could. I could stay afloat. I wasn't going to drown in a pool, but I wasn't a swimmer. I never swam really. And uh, he put three months of really hard work into it, and uh, he learned how to. He learned how to become a really good swimmer, and it's quite an impressive feat. When you see him in the pool with those other swimmers, that's him. It's not some double we got for him. He went from not being able to swim, basically, to swimming with Olympic-caliber swimmers and looking as good and being almost as good as Olympic-caliber swimmers. My one thing about not only the actors, but all the crew members and creative people, uh, you know, from, a, from the director down to the PhD, all these people work extremely hard and they're extremely dedicated. And you'll find that in the profession that everybody who does this works really hard. They just do. And they take pride in their ability to do the job. Um, And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to be able to do the things that these people can do. Everybody out there, Um, from the actors learning all these new skills to, you know, some of the people on our film sets are amazingly talented in so many different ways.
1: So, um, now, Julian, when, you're, when you've done these movies where you're talking about, okay, th- these were amazing stories. Now, like, these actors, they learned firefighting, they learned swimming, like, this, this, uh, they're all great hard workers. What's some of the crazy stuff that's gone on? Like, what are some of those moments where you're going, H- how did that just happen? Like what, hap- like, what are some of the crazy things that have happened when you've been shooting?
0: Crazy is kind of an everyday, all-day occasion. I mean, yesterday when I was filming, uh, I, we were shooting something from cars, and we're driving down the street. And there's a guy peeing in the middle—not the middle of the street, just off the side of the, on the sidewalk into the street. As I'm driving by with a film camera, we we're rushing along with some cars racing along the street. And there's a guy just peeing in the middle, of, basically into the street. And do another take, but you sort of—it sort of breaks up the monotony of perfection when you go. Well, that's insane! Some guy's just peeing on the side of the on the on the side of the road here right in front of us, out in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. The um, so craziest, I mean, there's always interesting. It's one of the things I think that sort of draws everybody who works in this business to this business and that you see things and you get to do things that, you know, most people don't ever get to see. Uh, I've gotten to play football in the stadium of my favorite, I grew up a huge Washington Redskins fan, and I got to be on the field playing football at the Redskins stadium. You know, I, and I am out there throwing a football around on the on FedEx field. Um, and I would grown up going to RFK, and we shot at RFK, and I threw a football around there. And I got to, In continuing on that football vein on that movie, I got to be on the sidelines of an NFL game as it's being played. Uh, and then got to be on the field in the middle of on halftime while we shot some football p- related plays for our movie with a big crowd of NFL fans out there we shot it as, we were the halftime show which um, which so uh, to,
1: which which movie was that for
0: that was called the replacements um which is mm-hmm. a football movie about uh basically the main NFL, which, it's about the, how when the NFL players went on strike, they brought in replacement players. They've sort of they fictionalized the story, but it's, about, it's based upon the Washington Redskins replacement players. Um, you know, it's a comedy, so it's, much, it's a bit broader and all that sort of stuff. But uh, we got to shoot. You know, I spent months and months inside uh, the Baltimore Ravens stadium but we shot at a bunch of other stadiums and we shot at that Baltimore Ravens halftime. So you get to do stuff like that all the time. So that's crazy. That, that to me, sometimes you think it's not crazy in the sense of someone's acting crazy. It's crazy that you're standing there. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, and the game is, you know, there's 60,000 fans a thing, and they're cheering while the guys out there are doing their plays. They're cheering and you're standing out there going, Oh my God, you know, that to me sometimes feels like, Oh, that's crazy. Um, obviously there's crazy things, like I mentioned about the guy peeing in the middle of the road while you're shooting, you you're driving along, but, um, it's, it's, uh, there's crazy things all the time, but I'm, when I say crazy, I don't mean bad, crazy or someone acting weird or whatever. It's just interesting. My God, that was crazy. Did you see that? That happens to me all the time, almost every day. And, and sometimes it's crazy because you're in some place, you know, uh, i i uh got had been to the very top of the um what was the Sears Tower in Chicago It stood on top of that building um, What were you doing know, up there they, uh, they were filming they had to put someone up there on top of the building, so I went up to the top of the building with them. They had to film them from a helicopter but uh the, the dark night the dark night okay. they had someone up on top of the building so yeah, it was dark you night the dark actually night. what was now the Trump Tower. Well, I believe it was the Trump Tower. I'm still a little confused as far as what building I was actually in. But there was a big, giant building that was under construction on the Dark night. The guy, uh, Batman, throws some SWAT guys off the building, and they're all tied together. And we called it the SWAT sausage. So there were five SWAT guys tied together. And uh, they threw them off the building, and that was a real building. They were 51 stories up in the air. And there was open to the thing, and we're shooting from helicopters. But when you say crazy, for me, I don't think of weird behavior or, you know, anything like that or eccentric actors or directors or producers or let me tell you, some of the crew members are more eccentric than anybody else. But I think when I think of crazy, I think of crazy things like I went to the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina, and, you know, I got a tour. Me and three other guys got a tour because we – sort of talked to one of the docents that worked there, and this person took us on a tour of the whole Bill Moore estate and the whole room once at it, every room. Things that people never get to see when they go there, they took us through. Um, so that's more of the things. When I think crazy, I think of the things that we get to do, the uh, places mm-hmm. sometimes we get to go, than, say, behavioral things. Um, and maybe because it's somewhat... I'm very used to this sort of world, <clears throat> you know, the, that I, I now inhabit as my professional life. Um, so those are the, the people I never really find the crazy things. The crazy things are the things we do, the places we go, um, sometimes so how we have to do things. Of,
1: of all the um, stars that you've worked with, including um the directors like obviously you get to know mm. these actors pretty well you're spending a lot of time with them you're calling them telling them what you know what time they got to report to work the next day and where um what, would you say that you learned anything specific from each one of those artists
0: they're indiv- they're all individuals that's what i've learned that they all do things differently that they like my experiences with actors that no two actors are alike some can be similar but then them two are alike and that they all have their way of doing things. Um, And, you know, that can be from what they like, how they like to work and how they like to live. I mean, you know, you learn different things. I mean, I find them fascinating, but also, you know, they have different lives. You know, the the one thing I've always said is um, they have to live – a certain life you know if they're very famous they it's a, it's a very it can be a very trying thing i think i you know i've never heard anybody complain or anything like that but i just would think of it by myself of everywhere i went everything i did was commented on it's it's that's a different life that's a different life than most other people live and i'm talking about big celebrity sort of stars and actually nowadays it doesn't even have to be you know a giant movie star like Tom Cruise It, you know it could be your seventh or eighth cast member on a television series they're all have these sort of public lives they have to live which is interesting and I think one of the things they like about work is that it's somewhat of a place where they can be away from that and do what the majority of them love to do or what they really got into this for was to act. I mean, I've basically found that most actors love acting, um, you know, and that's the way they do what they do. I don't think I've met an actor I could say, oh, he got into this or she got into this for the fame. They all love acting. They love the idea of being storytellers.
1: Like, what is it that you have to do for the directors and the producers that really kind of, have you been closer to one more than another? You t- spoke about M. Knight. Are there, are there any of the other directors that you, you, know, you still have close relationships with it or they taught you something about directing?
0: What I've learned from directors most, I mean, the most challenging thing with working directors is sometimes you are the bearer of bad news. And my job sometimes is having to say we can't do something or this is not working or it's just not going to be possible to do this. do this. But let's try and figure out how we can do something that you're going to like. Well, be specific. And, and,
1: Give me a really specific example of when that happened.
0: We can't close down this lane of traffic. You can't shut down this road right now. So let's figure out some way to do it. Let me work with you. Let me work with the, the police. You know, something as mundane as that can really – we can't put the camera where you want to put it. So let's figure out a way to either get to where you want to be or how do, I, how do we reconfigure everything to get you what you want. And that's kind of my job sometimes is, is, okay, we can't do this, but how can we do what we need to do? I've learned how to adapt um, mm-hmm. to the situations around me because I've, I've seen how directors do it. Um, I think sometimes, and I'm sure if you asked any director, they tell you, sometimes having to rethink or redo things is, uh, is, um, is important. You know, they, they, they suddenly think on their feet and they get some energy in them and some liveliness to them, and suddenly something better may come out of it. Sometimes you don't, unfortunately, and you go with a compromised version, but, and, but still maintain your goal. I mean, directors, the good ones, I've, worked, I've been lucky to work on movies with a bunch of very talented directors. The good ones uh, have, a, have a vision of what they want, and they figure out how to make whatever they're dealing with work so that it continues to sort of shape and form and, and move their vision forward. I mean, that's give you an example. I was working on a show called agent Carter is a, uh, a show off, on
1: Marv- like a Marvel, a Marvel
0: show, right? Marvel yeah. television show about basically captain America's first girlfriend, his love of his life, um, uh, Peggy Carter. So it's a show about that, and we were going. We drove up to a place in Los Angeles called Mystery Mesa, which is sort of outside in the deserty area. And when we got up there at once again the glamorous time of 5 a.m. in the morning, um, the wind was howling. And when I say howling, it was like 60 mile per hour winds. And out in the desert, 60 mile per hour winds are pretty bad. It's not fun to be out there. You end up wearing goggles, and you put a big scarf around your face or you have to wear some sort of mask. And it's like being sandblasted for an entire day. And I got up there and I got out of the car and I said, okay, it's going to be a tough day. It's not going to be fun out here. We're, gonna, we're going to need to um, adapt to this and figure out what we're going to do and get to it. And uh the director got out of his car and the director was from England and had never shot in America before. And he got out of his car and he says, my God, man, this tumbleweed's blowing across like the end of the earth and i said to him i understand it's not fun out here today right now so i'm going to give you about 15 minutes to be upset and say how this is not going to work and we're never going to be able to do this and then we're going to go up there and we're going to do this and we'll figure something out and i'm sure julian so that's so
1: inspiring
0: <laughs> well you know what i mean here's the thing i'm I've like i need you is, to tell
1: me to get up there and get my stuff done every day all right, you can be upset mm-hmm. for 15 minutes now. Now get on with it.
0: This is the thing about filmmaking, and it, be it television commercials, reality television, film, you name it. There's always going to be something that's going to be difficult about this, and you're always going to have to work really hard. And if you let the things, if I let the things that were making sh- my part of helping us shoot whatever overwhelm me, we'd never get anything done there's always difficult parts of this. (laughs) The wind isn't right. The sun isn't right. Okay. We've got to keep going. If you stop, it dies. And I know that because I did a job once very early in my career and we got there and there was a bunch of stuff that just wasn't right. And everybody was like, Oh, we just can't do it. We should come back another day and do this again. And it was a small, this was not a professional job. This was just something that a bunch of us had got together to do. And I realized, so we said, oh, we'll come back and start and do it another day, right? We never went back. We never did it again and never started again. If we had said right. to ourselves, you know what, there's a bunch of tough stuff here, but we're just going to figure out some way to do something and just keep going. Um, I think that's a, a
1: message for, yeah, I feel like that's a message for life.
0: Life, but I mean, yes, absolutely life. But in, in the film business, there's always something telling you why you can't do something. You've got to figure out how you can do something. And that's sometimes a lot of my job. And did, The directors are like that, and the actors are like that. They sort of, We've got to figure out how get over that part of yourself that tells you why you can't do something or why something isn't going to work and figure out how to make something work.
1: Well, what are some of the jokes that people say about ADs and the and the myths and things that you guys, like the insiders, talk about?
0: Well, I mean, there there obviously is somewhat, I don't know if it's a myth or not, quite honestly. I've heard it, and I don't know if I believe it's true or not, but yes, ADs do die young. Uh, at one point, there was a statistic that most assistant directors died by 55, was the average median death age, so not far away from me, uh, no oh my gosh. certainly, certainly, I'm closer to that age now than I've been doing this longer than I, am, I have left to go to that age. so there was a statistic they said that ADs died at fifty five um, that, but that's not uh, true
1: anymore, right that That uh, was before everybody was you know flexing and and had different gear
0: <laughs> uh yeah no i mean i it it is there's a physical toll to the job. We do. You know. You notice that almost every story I start starts with, and I got up at four or five a.m. and didn't get home. And the backside of that is, and then I didn't get home till seven, eight o'clock. And so, sleep. There defamation. is a physical. That's what you're toll. saying. Yeah. There, there's a physical. There's a physical toll that t- this thing takes on your body. We work very long hours. As I say, there's a lot of challenges, and so that is, is it
1: is Is it true, true your, your shoe size has changed? Is that, is that true? I heard that from Yeah, uh,
0: my feet, so when I started, one of the joys, I say, of this business is I could sit there and watch the sun rise and set, and I could do it from the same spot, and I hadn't moved all day. So, yeah, my foot has grown a full shoe size since I've started in this business. Uh, I started out at a nine and, a half, and I'm now a 10 and a half. And you know, don't judge me because my I have small feet. But listen, they've grown. <laughs> um, I'm,
1: I'm but a does grower. Else I like to grow say that to also. people. I'm a grower. Uh, <laughs>
0: okay. But yes, my foot has my foot has grown a full size since I've done this business, and I believe, it's due to the fact that I've been standing on them for the better part of 20 years now, on my feet all day, every day, on cement and and all cement, grass, you name it, mountains, been on boats. Been in planes, you know, but I've stood for twelve hours a day, pretty much, for twenty years, and yeah, there's a physical toll to that. So, is there yeah, something when
1: you when you get when, when you get ready to leave in the morning and you pack your bag and you, is are there a few like what's the thing? What are some of the things that like if you're an AD, you can't leave the house without blank.
0: Uh, for me, well, for me, it's something else, but every AD will always have a pen and paper usually on them at all times because you're constantly writing down things and making notes about things and, and, uh, you know, just sort of organizing things. You're drawing things out to explain to people what you're trying, what we're going to, what they and you are going to try to do. Um, so it's always pen and paper. It's, 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 it's not a computer, uh, although it's very important, but if you, if, if at any time you had to find me, I will always have a pen and some paper somewhere on me. Um, I shove it in my back pocket. I have a little notebook that I always, anytime I go to work, I shove it right in my back pocket. It's a little, you know, ledger. And uh, I always have a red pen in my front pocket. Oh, every, every time I go to work, even if I'm, if I go for a job interview, I will have that red pen.
1: So what's one of the skills that like bleeds over into your life that you say is a positive skill and what's a negative skill?
0: Yeah, one of the positive skills is that you're, pretty, you're very good at organizing things. You, I, when I, I, right now I'm doing construction in my house. I'm adding an addition onto my house. I'm very good at organizing what we have to do, what time things have to happen, when they have to happen, all that sort of stuff. I'm constantly thinking of what's the next thing, because that's a lot of what being an assistant director is, is thinking about what's next. We're doing this, I've got this, but what's next, and what do I have to think about, and what I'm doing next what's the next shot what's the next scene what's the next day what's the next week all that sort of stuff you're always thinking that way you you've if you're going to make if you're going to be successful as an AD you've learned how to think about what's next and try and think through logically what are the steps you need to do to accomplish these things so it trains you to think about it changes you how to think about movies that films that way and television or whatever you want to call it i always I'll, I'll use the term film It's a generic term for every form of you know entertainment and it teaches you how to think that way and it's not a bad life skill to have that you can only you know when you're doing anything you think about what are the steps I need to take to accomplish my goal so you you know when I bought my house, I started thinking well how am i gonna what do I do to buy a house okay well I have to get money. So how do I do that? And then how do I get a loan? And what, are the, what do I need to find the house? What steps do I take and what order do I take them in? And then you sort of think about things that way. Um, and that's, you know, I found that to be an interesting, uh, good skill for life. It helped me a lot. I mean, it wasn't something, and it's strange, I wasn't that way growing up. I've never, I wasn't that way when I was in high school or college. And I never sort of was super organized. Sometimes uh, there's a bit of impatience. You're trying to like this doesn't make sense. Why don't you just do this, this, and this? You you sort of trained yourself to always be the you tried to be the most efficient agent of whatever you're doing. So in filming, a lot of being an ad is being efficient and trying to figure out. So how I to guess catch. when
1: you're when you're on a date or something, maybe your your date doesn't want you to be efficient. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> they want to linger. They want to have that feeling of romance and you're like all right let's go let's go we got to have uh we got to have dinner then we got to see this movie then we got to do this then we got to do this
0: <laughs> no it it's it, 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 it's it doesn't affect it where I find it that part of of what I do for a living affects me it's not necessarily my personal relationships but it's certainly in my interactions with you know when i as I mentioned, I'm doing an addition, my contractor we had to shut down for a bit because i we were making some changes to the plan, and then we lost he lost the uh the um guy who was doing all the foundation work, and I sort of was like, "I don't understand this. how can you lose this guy? Well, you know we were shut down for two weeks, yes, but we knew it was two weeks, and he took a six week job, so you're telling me I'm like this doesn't make any sense. you guys gotta if you know this, you gotta figure this out and and so Sometimes you can get to the point where you're like, I would have seen the problem and fixed it. And you get really annoyed with people who don't do that in your personal life. You go, come on, it's not that difficult to, you say, okay, we're shutting down for two weeks because the foundation guy needs another job, which I understand. I'm not saying he has to wait, but then he, you should tell him it's two weeks. And if he takes a six week job, you should then replace him. You shouldn't then I'm not waiting four more extra weeks because of this. We should replace him and find someone else. I, I, you know, and I like the guy, but that's where, that's the sort of impatience I'm talking about. It's like, this is, you know, you spend your whole working career trying to be an efficient agent of filming. And it's very hard when you're outside of work, you know, I mean, but then sometimes you actually learn to just sort of like not care. Sometimes there's, there's a part of you that ends up a choice, but a lot of times you end up being, Okay, guys, you got to do this, this, and this, and that's sort of my life. Is that you spend so much, and that's this is every profession on a film set. We spend so much time at work that, and we're forced to make decisions that are not maybe necessarily best for your personal life to continue doing what you do. I mean, I don't know many people whose jobs will say, okay, you got to go away for three months and come back, and you know you have to be there. Things that you're going to miss because. You know, you can't leave. You're counted upon. And you can't be replaced sometimes either, you know. But, yeah, I think the two things that would be the worst are that you, as an AD in particular, you're very sort of, you know, goal-oriented and it can kind of sometimes you're a bit impatient with like, okay, guys, let's come on, this shouldn't take that long. You have to work on that not to let that get to you outside of work. And uh, then really the biggest I think thing it's all the professions in filming is that you have to you make a lot of sacrifices. I mean there are some people I know that have been married to one person their entire, you know, their married life is only to one person, but it's very few and far between. Uh, I think it's getting better because at least amongst our profession it's becoming more like the norm because many more people understand this is what we do and this is how it does. But it's funny. You think you meet some, you know, you work with somebody. Oh, you're married. How I've been married for 20 years. Oh my God. You had a 20 year marriage. That's great. It's been great. You lasted. And it's, you know, and then they go, yeah, it's my second wife. And you go, Oh wow. <laughs> so you had a wife before 20 years, you know, and a lot of them have, I mean, uh, you know, i I work with a gentleman and he's, he was been married to the same woman for 20 plus years, I would say, you know, and, uh, but he was, he was married before for, three years to another woman, Um, you know, and there's a lot of guys and a lot of women that are like that. They've been married and divorced. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can never tell somebody really I'm going to be somewhere if I'm working, if I'm working, I can never really commit to being somewhere fully. I can give them a really high statistical chance that I will be where I need to be, but I can't tell anybody for sure because work will, it's like, you know, okay, this Saturday, you're gonna, I'm going to be here. That happens, and I understand it happens in every business, but the 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 amount of time that they demand sometimes, you know, and it's expected. If you're asked to work on well, Saturday, no is not an option. You cannot be. Right. No is If they've asked you to do something, no is really not an option that's not going to cost you because we are all employed on a daily basis so that even though I've got, I'm working on, you know, I'm hired to do some television series or some film and it's going to be nine months long. I could be a week into it and be let go or the whole thing shuts down or, you know, so many things can happen and then from one day to the next. You have a job and it just goes away the next day. It's And it's not like, you know, or you, you're you called to work and you're said, oh yeah, we'll, we'll need you Thursday. And then Wednesday comes around and go, oh, you know what? It's not Thursday. Can we do you Friday? You know? You know, avail. You know, you may or may not be available then. But if it was a personal thing, you have to sometimes tell a personal thing. Listen, I got to work Friday now. I can't. I can't uh, do um, that.
1: Well, Julian, thank you so much for coming on to uh, Gems with Jewel and for uh, giving us an insider's look on the life of an AD mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And I look forward to picking up and speaking with you again another time on another podcast and going more in depth to some of the things that happen on set and some of the other Mm -hmm. projects that you're excited about.
0: Okay, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. All right. Talk to you soon,
1: Julian. And if anyone wants to see Julian on IMDB, he is Julian, J-U-L-I-A-N, Brain, B-R-A-I-N, and you can check him out and maybe even stalk him down and send him a message. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Thanks so much, Julian.
0: All right. Thank you, Joel.